Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 14? We've come to chapter 14 now, and we're starting at verse 1. I don't know. Well, maybe I can. If I do all of these slides in the general context that I've prepared, this will be a, a long sermon, whether you like it or not. And I hope your container today that you brought with you is deep and wide. These are some of the most gripping and touching words from our Lord Jesus. He has, as, you, as we saw last time, he has dismissed Satan from the group. The Bible said we studied Judas was the one who would betray him and then Satan came and filled him and Jesus dismissed him. This is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it, but the way I see it is our Lord leaned closely into the face of Judas and probably grabbed him by the nap of his neck and said, because Satan was in him, what you do, do quickly. And he was gone. It was an imperative. Christ dismissed him. Just we, just a few hours now from the cross, at the scene of the room where they will have shared Passover, the Last Supper, Christ has been telling them, one of you has betrayed me. Previous to that, and you take, you take the four gospels in total context and you understand then that Christ has been telling them that he would leave them. I'm going to have to leave. They're going to take me and they're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me and they're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'll rise again. In another part of scripture in both Matthew and Luke's, Matthew's and Luke's gospel, Peter speaking for the group said, Lord, we have forsaken everything for you. We have left what we were doing. We haven't spent that much time with our families. We have been itinerant. And in those three years, we have been filled to overflowing with what we have seen and what we have heard. So it comes down to this. It is still their theology because, you know, this is like Thursday night and it was just Palm Sunday. It was just a few days ago they, the crowds received him and Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, Christ knows that 
His hour has come. He even said it. We saw it. His hour has come. And this is what he came into the world for. To offer himself for his own. To redeem those who are his. The only ones left in that room are those who are his. He said earlier, you remember in chapter 13, I chose you and you're mine. Nothing will ever change that. So the 12, the, the 11 who are left are distressed. They're, they're, they're disturbed. They're shaken. They've abandoned and left everything. And Christ is saying, I'm going to have to leave you. And where I'm going, you cannot come with me. Their, their theology is still, it's not even in its infancy. It's still in the womb somewhere. Still believing that Christ will emerge from this room, walk right into Jerusalem and as the son of David and son of man and son of God, set himself up as the king and dis disperse, dispel the Romans and establish the kingdom. They're still thinking this. Even just prior to his ascension, after his resurrection, there's, in Acts chapter 1, they're still thinking this. Is it now that you're going to establish the kingdom? They're struggling with their theology. Christ is going to give them the final teaching before his crucifixion and resurrection of his identification. They still haven't grasped it for all they have seen. They still haven't grasped it. Remember how John began his gospel. Jesus is God in the flesh. So it's difficult to understand. You can imagine. How can you comprehend sitting at a table with the teacher, the master whom you have adored and he has laughed with you and he has loved you and, and he has met your family and he has done so many things and you have witnessed and observed his power. Yet still it's difficult to comprehend this one at the table with us is the very creator of all things. It's difficult to comprehend. This, this, this discourse will continue, that we've already seen that started, will continue through chapter 16. And then in chapter 17, he offers his prayer. Christ surely is, he's just, just how many hours, not many hours from the cross. Already feeling the burden of all of the sins and the guilt of all who are his own. Mine were there. And mine would have to be multiplied, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of times or more. Beginning to feel this humiliation that he's alone. Even there, even here. No one can understand what he's doing at this point. 
and what he's going through and what he's suffering. He has to do it alone. When he prays that prayer in John 17, only he can pray that prayer. There's no one else. None of these 11 can understand. They cannot comfort him, but he can comfort them. And for all of the burdens of the guilt and the sins of his own that are entering into him and the turning away of the father from the son to the point of forsaking his son, yet still Christ has room in his heart for his love and compassion for his own. So Christ now, for all that he's beginning to bear, turns his attention to the distress of the 11. Remember, it started out last year, loving them, he loved them to the end. Loving his own, he loved them to the end. So his discourse here continues. The traitor has been dismissed. The 11 who are left are bewildered and shocked that there was a traitor in their midst. He's been telling them that he's going to leave them and they can't come with him. They've never heard him like that before. And he's been telling them for several months that he was going to die, that his enemies were going to take over and carry him to the cross and humiliate him. And this just didn't fit in with their theology of the Messiah. Because like all of the rest of the Jews of that day, they just didn't understand the prophecies in the Old Testament of the first coming, the Messiah, the suffering servant. The Messiah is also the great coming and conquering king, but not before he's the suffering servant. The sin of his own has to be dealt with and only he can do it. And he will say, this is the reason I came. His heart and compassion now focused on these 11. Let not your heart be troubled. Really, may Tara Sesto. You can say stop. You can take that negative in the Greek and just bury it into the, the verb phrase there. You could just you could just you can say that Christ is saying stop. Stop being troubled. And here comes to me. Perhaps the deepest identification of himself. It's one thing, in my opinion, to say that he is God in the flesh, but it's another thing to say, I am God. You and I stand on the strength 
of the doctrine of the apostles and we have the New Testament and we have the complete scriptures in the fullness of its glory. And we can study and we can understand that God has revealed himself as Father and Son and Holy Spirit, but there's one God. And the Apostle Paul will call him the Godhead. Magnificent, mighty God. In the case of the incarnation of the Christ, God the Son has come and he is the designated one of the Godhead to be the physical and personal creator of time and space. Thus he enters into it himself, becomes a part of it. So he's God, but he's God the Son. Being in as part of what he agrees, he steps into his creation. Now, Christ continues here. You believe in God. That's an indicative in the Greek. Also, believe in me. There is a great argument over scholars as to whether or not uh, the, the, the verb pastute, it is seen as really an imperative, a command. So let's flip that thing upside down. If you don't believe in me, you can't believe in God. You believe in God. Now here are the 11. They were good Jewish people. They grew up understanding the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the Bible that they had in their day. So, Believing in an invisible God was not that difficult in that sense. But suppose God became a man and laughed with you and talked with you and, and taught you and sat with you and you camped out with him and did all these things and you traveled with him, not just for a while, but for three years nonstop. Suppose, could you comprehend it? God. Well, here it is. You believe in God. Also believe in me because you can't separate the two. You, you see that uh, Kai. Kai. S-M-A. Kai. Translated also. It's a word that also means and. It connects the two. It's, 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 a, it's a connector. So it's a, a statement that joins the two. I'm God. You can't believe in God unless you believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the great message of the Christian faith. If you believe in God, then your God is a false God if it excludes Jesus Christ Specifically, the God of the Bible 
and the God of the gospel is God who has revealed himself in his son and there is no other God and there is no other understanding of God apart from Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't argue with the construction of the original text. In my father's house, now it becomes a family. What were their thoughts of a kingdom? What were their thoughts of heaven? Heaven has been called a country. It's been called a city. It's been called a kingdom. The word paradise is associated with heaven. Heaven, the beautiful thoughts of heaven. And there were only faint, distant thoughts of heaven in the Old Testament. But now Christ has come. He's come from heaven. I mean, he's, here he is. He's God. And he came down from where he was. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Many dwelling places. Manai mansions it's really mansion is an old king james word that meant your personal residence now today we think of a mansion as a you know like who like some superstar lives in a mansion you know a bunch of rooms and a bunch of bathrooms and a big swimming pool and maybe a private landing strip on a mansion. We think of that. That's not really the meaning of the original word. The original word speaks of rooms or residences that are attached overall to the house of the father. Now, this was the way it was done in the culture of Christ in his day. The father would have land. It was his land because it was the promised land and it was his and it belonged to his heirs and they would always have a place. So in his house, they would attach their residence to his house. And only the father could tell them when the house was ready to be lived in. You know what it said in another part of the New Testament about, you know, only my father knows. And the culture of the day was that a, a, a man betrothed to his bride would go and begin to build the place for them to live. It was a dwelling place and he was building it onto his father's house. And his father would have to pass inspection before then he would tell his son, okay, it's ready. Everything is ready. You can go and get your bride. And it could be at midnight. It could be at any time of the day. But whenever the father gave his final approval, then the son would go and retrieve his bride. We have a dwelling place, a residence in the father's house. A beautiful teaching. Christ is saying we're all family. Family, we join, we, we're together. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And if not, what I have told you, 
that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, that's actually a question in the original text. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will receive you to myself that where I am, you will be also. And you know the way to the place I'm going. Now, let me break this down. There is a, an older set of books, Greek commentary by the old master scholar from years gone by, Kenneth Wiest. He wrote an addendum to his set of commentaries called um, Gleanings in the Greek. And he took these special Greek phrases that had such rich, deep meaning that just in the translation might be lost unless someone really took it in, took it apart and took the deeper understanding. Now to me, I'm not, I don't even know if this is in his, I didn't try to research that, but to me, this is a gleaning here. And we'll look at it. First of all, to prepare. It's adverbial. I have told you that I go to prepare. You see it up there? I have it, I have it highlighted. And it's hetomaisi. Hetomaisi. In, in, its, in its tense, that, that's aorist, infinitive, active. Now, the infinitive is kind of rare. In the Koine Greek. Stay with me with this. Because the next one down there is just prepare. You see it, it's different. Etomate, etomaso, etomaso. And this means prepare. The other one's adverb, to prepare in the infinity. That one's in the subjunctive. That's not, but the other one, that's kind of common. But this one up here, to prepare in the infinitive. Now, this is Jesus. Jesus is saying, and in, in that little, in the infinitive, it means that there is a focus on something. And it has to be accomplished, and the singular focus has to be on the accomplishment of the task. Christ is saying, I have a focus here, and I'm focused on going to prepare a place for you. No one else, aorist, infinitive, active. No one else can prepare that place. Only Christ. Now, you, where it says for you. Humane, for you. That's possessive pronoun and it's in the second person plural. He's addressing those who are his own and there are no other ones there. He's only preparing it for his own. Peter writes about that in 1 Peter. And what Peter essentially says, it's in chapter 1. He essentially says, there are no wrecking balls in heaven. 
What Christ builds for you is established and it will never be torn down. It is yours forever. Christ is saying this here in the infinitive. It, I, only I can do it and I'm doing it for you. And that becomes very personal for all of those who are his own. I'm doing this for you. You can't, you can't argue with the, the state of the text, right? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again. Christ is saying, I'm leaving. You can't go where I'm going. Now he says, but I'm coming again and will receive you to myself. You with me. That where I am, there you will be also. Now let me break that down a little bit further. I've been, I don't know, you may not like it, but I'm going to enjoy it. You see, there's there probably, I translated like, but there's probably a better translation here. You will be also. Up there, I don't know, was that second line up? And you'll see in the parentheses uh, where I am. Ego and me. That's one of the several I am's that Christ ascribes to himself, which is, of course, the name of God in the Gospel of John. So here it is. Where I am, that means to exist. Kai, the word Kai also is translated and. Humes hete. Will be, that's not a possibility, that's a firm reality. And hete is a plural of aime ego. So it can be translated like this. Where, where I am and you will be. It means to exist. Now, Christ is the I am. He's identified himself that way several times in the Gospel of John. What Christ has just done for his own has connected us forever with himself and he being the I am. So, I am with him and you will be. That's how, and you will be. Where I am and you will be. You can't get any more definitive than that in the language. So are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, let me tell you something. Christ has declared that you are in the great I am. I will spend into the ages of the ages trying to understand that. I am, you will be. That's exactly what he says. And you know the way to the place I'm going. You see that word, uh, the place, to the place, hopu, place, a place, a place 
It has dimensions. It has reality. It has substance, place. Father's house, fixing on to the Father's house, residences for those who are his own, he will come back and take us to those places and we're in him. Christ prays in John 17. And here's what he says in his prayer. Father, and he's speaking of all of those who are his own, those who are believing him. Father, I'm in you and you are in me and they are in us. Tremendous thought, mind boggling. Here's what Christ is saying to his disciples. I'm the only one who can save you. I am the only one who can show you God because I'm God. And I'm going away, but I'm coming again. And in the going away and the coming again, there'll be something prepared for you, a place in my father's house. You know the way to the place I'm going. You're going to have to click me. Ah, thank you. Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not where you're going. How can we know the way? Ah, here it is. Here it is. Jesus has just said to them, I'm going, going to come back, get you, have a place for you, going to prepare it myself. I am you will be. You know the way. Three years of teaching, three years of miracles, three years of covering everything. And then this guy says, Lord, we know not where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, it's me. I am, here's the other, uh, the next I, I am the way. Specific articles that are used. And the truth and the life. Okay, here it is. There is only one way to be with God forever and live with him. In the place prepared for those who are his own. One way, Jesus, I am the way. You will learn many things in the course of your life. They will come to you from academia. They will come to you from philosophy. They'll come to you from the media. They'll come to you a hundred different ways. Many things you will read and many things you will study. But there is only one thing that is the truth and that is Christ. Only one truth. That is why the fallen world seeks to destroy the gospel of Christ, the message of Christ, the person of Christ, the word of God. I am the truth. <clears throat> there's, only one, there's only one truth. What else matters? 
unless the Lord comes again, and I think he's coming soon, but unless he comes again, we are all headed for the grave in the end of life as we know it, physical life. So, if I only have life in this life and have not had my life and do not have my life in the life, then there's no hope for me. Here's why. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you had known me, you would also have known the Father. From now on you know him and have seen him. This is the great final teaching of his identification. The Trinitarian doctrine of the apostles here is not, is not good at all. They don't understand. Their concept of God is not big enough, and that's why Christ comes. This guy says, how can we know the way? Jesus says, you're looking at him. You only come through me to the Father. Do you know why? If you know me, you know the Father. One thing we've been studying ad infinitum since I've preached at any time, wherever, all the time for years, it's this. What is done is done by the will of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and executed by Christ, God the Son. This is all God, you see. God is too big for us to absolutely understand him. The only way we can understand him is through his son. So he comes to us personally. Reveals himself for his own, his love, his compassion, his call to us. Proves himself by miracles and great works. And straightens things out because their theology in Judaism had become so twisted with regard to the doctrine of God and the law. Keep, they thought keeping the law could save them. Of course, Christ corrects all of that. And it's vindicated on the cross and through his resurrection. Christ makes this stunning announcement. Here's what he says. I am the father. This is all you will ever see. That's what he says. If you had known me, you'd known the Father. From now on, you know, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, there's a transition that's happening. And you won't see me anymore. But the Father and I will take up residence with you. How powerful is that? The Father and I will be with you. How am I going to know that? We're not going to get there today. But on down in this chapter, Christ says, I will send you Paracleta, the, the helper, the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. 
Later on, he'll tell them they need to go and wait until the Father sends the Spirit. And then in 10 days, ooh, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Today, we live in post-Pentecost by, I don't know, what, 2,000 years or so, nearly. The Holy Spirit of God, we are the temple. Our bodies are the temple. Paul writes to the Ephesians and the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence with us. The presence of God in this world. The invisible presence of God who lives in his people. This is the presence of God. So the Father and the Son are one and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. God Almighty has taken up residence in my life because I am in Christ. This is what he's teaching his disciples and it's way over their heads. They can't comprehend it, not until after his resurrection and not until after his uh, 40 days with them and then into his ascension and the Holy Spirit begins to teach them and the church begins to grow. Christ will say, we're not going to get there today either, but Christ will say to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. I can only be right here, right now. And you could run into the village of Bethany and I'm here in the upper room in Jerusalem and you, you're there and I'm here, but the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is everywhere and where you are, he is, where he is, I am, and where I am, the Father is. Wow, what a thought to think that all of the presence of God that I will ever see or experience because God is too much. He's the creator. I'm the created. He is the cause. I'm the effect. I can never be as great as God. I can never know all that there is to know about God. But what I can know, he chooses to reveal to me in Jesus Christ. And there he is in the presence of his 11. From now on, you know him and you've seen him. I'm having trouble. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. We'll be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? The one having seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How many, how many times did Christ retire away from the 12 to pray? Seeking the Father's will. Never doing anything except the Father's will. The Father is in action through His Son empowered by the Holy Spirit. How have we been together for all of this time? He says, show us the Father. And Christ says, he's me. You haven't known me? 
The one having seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It is without shame and remorse in a day when it is particularly politically incorrect and even to the point of loss of life, liberty, and freedom to stand up and say humbly to the world, there is only one way to be saved. There is only one Savior. You cannot know God except through Jesus Christ. If you claim to be monotheistic and you have excluded the Christ of God, you are lost, you are unsaved, and damnation itself rests upon you and you will be judged. There's only one way. Because Almighty God has come to us. And then in his going away, sends himself to us, Holy Spirit. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Click me again, brother. Do you, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I speak not from myself. But the Father dwelling in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or yet believe because of the works themselves. Here's what Christ says. Okay. If I have taught it, it was the Father teaching it. If I performed it, it was the Father performing it. I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. He dwells in me. The Father is working in me. I and my Father, we're one. He's in me. I'm in Him. Surely you know that only God could do the things that I have done, Christ is saying, because of the works themselves. It worked. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one believing in me, the works that I do, he also will do. And he will do greater than these because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you may ask in my name, this will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Specific to the 11, Acts chapter 1 then inaugurates the apostolic age, the age of the apostles. And they're empowered by Christ, thus to confirm the New Testament by the miracles that will come from their hands. Now, some people look at that and say, you know what? I'm going to go out here and I'm going to pray in Jesus' name that I get a Corvette. The extent and essence 
of asking in the name of Christ, and that's the kicker, in my name. So what is the Great Commission? What has Christ commissioned us to do? What is his word? How can we be obedient to Christ? We're not obedient to Christ if we try to exercise ourselves as Christians outside of the commands of Christ. Well, that's crazy. In my name, so then, here we go. Christ is saying, you'll be empowered. The Holy Spirit will come on you. You go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the most parts of the world. And what happens? People who have never known about monotheism are saved in the name of Jesus. And they receive the doctrine of the apostles. And the apostles then are empowered to write to us the New Testament. And with the completion of the New Testament, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, these things that were necessary to confirm the New Testament, they will cease to exist in and of themselves. And they did. Do you know why? Because we can go everywhere in this world and the Holy Spirit goes with us today and we are armed with the blessed Holy Word of God and the power of committed Christians preaching in the name of Christ the gospel message and preaching the blessed Holy Word of God will have an effect on those whom God calls to himself. I could pull rabbits out of a hat until I collapse. But that won't mean a thing unless the power of God through his committed servant in the power of his word, through the power of his spirit, by the call of the father himself will draw people to himself. That's what Christ said, remember? John 6, I've referred to it a lot. All that the father gives to me will come to me. And I'll never cast him out. In Acts chapter 1, they're going to go out. They're going to be empowered by Christ himself. And what they will do will go beyond just the little space and time that Christ did his miracles. They will go out into the world. And the world will be changed. We go in the name of Christ we don't go with a social gospel. We go with the real gospel, the gospel of Christ. The love of Christ moves us to do many things, but the main thing is to reach out into those places where God sends us. God doesn't make a mistake. He knows where we should go. You remember the time when Paul went to bed and he said, tomorrow we're going to go to Asia. And the man from Macedonia appeared to him sort of in a vision, a dream. And he got up the next day, said, nope, you ain't going that way, going the other way. This is how the Lord is in charge of his church. Those who are committed and sincere. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but to glorify the son who glorifies the father. That's the whole thing. The whole thing. I'm going to stop there. And I honestly thought I'd be at 12 minutes longer, but that's okay. You can congratulate me. Um, <laughs> That's a lot to, it is to me. You're probably smarter than I am, but that's a lot for me to digest. And brother, I can digest a lot. <laughs> the presence of God. God! In my life. Why should I fear anything? Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Why should I fear death? 
Why should I fear the difficulties of life? I'm in Christ and I trust him. And the purpose of the Father doesn't miss a single detail in accomplishing what he has set out to accomplish in his creation. I'm so thankful, so thankful on my face that he saw fit to make me part of it. I don't know why, it's just grace, sovereign grace. Jesus Christ, he died to save me. He lives to keep me. He's gone to prepare a place for me. And he's coming again to receive me to himself so that where he is, I will be. I am in the great I am. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. It's my prayer for anyone who came here without Christ, that God will call you into his kingdom today. And you'll know it. The conviction of God is unmistakable. In just a moment, we'll stand and be dismissed. We have deacons and their wives in rooms right across the hall as you exit, ready to pray with you about however God may be dealing with you, perhaps to be saved, maybe to, become, to come and be a part of the Shiloh family, be a church member. Maybe you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized as a great testimony of what God has done for you. Whatever is on your heart, step in. They're prepared to pray with you and talk to you about it. Right now, let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.